Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. It's How Do We Fix It with Richard and Jim. Playdates. Could they be harmful for kids? Tamara Mose. I think we could add more diversity into how our children play with other children. So not only limiting it to the comfort zone that we all expect, but also branching out a little bit and have more diversity in terms of who our children can play with. Let's listen to our children's desires. I think we've lost the ability to do that because we're so afraid of everything our children interacts with. Um, but I think unless there's blood and tears, you can let your kids have at it. <laughs> Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How, how do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? Richard, we've talked about this a lot, but when I was a kid, we just went out and played. Right. No play dates. Right. And we weren't supervised. You know, we didn't have our parents hanging over us. So what did you do? Everything. You know, stuff that would probably be illegal today. We lit stuff on fire and built tree forts. And you also climbed up trees. I know (laughs) that. I know that about you. And I I used to throw a baseball against the side of the kitchen wall, which must have infuriated my mom, but she never came out and complained. So our show today is about how play dates have changed, what they mean for our society. And our guest is Tamara Mose, Associate Professor of Sociology at Brooklyn College. Tamara is the author of The Playdate, Parents, Children, and the New Expectations of Play. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So where did this all start? Where did the playdate begin? No one knows. Um, (laughs) It's a term that we've heard probably over the last two decades, um, but it was not something that was around when I was little. It's certainly something that has gradually developed. Well, maybe I should have another stab at this question and ask, why did the playdate begin? Right. I think the playdate began because we have a lot of fear for our children, especially in urban centers, not only urban centers, rural areas as well as suburban areas. So we have this fear that has developed with the 24-7 news cycle that we now have and that we see. The media tends to give us the sense that there's violence lurking at every corner. So you always have to be aware of the kidnapper or right. the person who's mean down the street. So we feel that the the media has kind of conjured up this fear in parents. So we want our kids to play in a more protected, supervised environment. Right. Something that we can mediate as parents. What I want to know is, where did you get the idea to write this book? Well, I was actually on a play date with some families, and I recognized 
immediately that I was able to garner some kind of, um, let's say, career advancement mm-hmm. through one of the parents who knew somebody that was on my committee for my dissertation at graduate school. So it was a social event for you and, and a professional one as well as for your kids. Absolutely. Absolutely. And once I started seeing there was a connection between parents who didn't know each other necessarily, it was interesting to me that, hey, this phenomenon of the play date actually does something for parents more than maybe it does even for children. Because you always think of play dates as being something you just arrange for your kids. Yeah. And it's absolutely not. It's something <laughs> that parents are arranging for themselves. So you live in Brooklyn, New York, where it's a little harder to just let kids go out and run around outside and play, although they used to do that. And so you started interviewing caretakers, parents, and and looking into playdates and how they work. And you write in your book, I began to notice that playdates tended to happen with people of the same social classes, races, and ethnicities. Nannies typically had playdates with other nannies of similar ethnic or racial background. And parents had playdates with other parents who were in similar socioeconomic situations. Absolutely. So what I found is that parents tended to separate themselves not only by race and ethnicity and class, but also for religious reasons. So a lot of the Jewish American parents in the interviews said that they wanted their child to have the Jewish experience, the Jewish community experience. So they tended to seek out playdates with other Jewish American families. Is that, do you think, a bad thing? Do you think that limits children? I absolutely don't think it's a bad thing, but I think we could add more diversity into how our children play with other children. So not only limiting it to the comfort zone that we all expect, but also branching out a little bit and have more diversity in terms of who our children can play with. Let's talk about the pluses of playdates as well as the potential minuses. What what are good things that you see coming out of maybe being a little bit more organized as a parent and and having a playdate for your child rather than just saying, go out and play? Right. Well, as a mother of a special needs child, my youngest son has Down syndrome. I think for children with special needs, it probably does help to have playdates because you can manage behavioral issues that may arise. But I do feel that free play has more advantages than this type of structured, privatized play that we're seeing now. And we've certainly talked about that a lot on the show. One of our early guests was Lenora Skenazy, who leads the Free Range Kids movement. And she talks a lot about free play. And yet a lot of parents seem to be afraid to give their kids time to do that. They want to make sure that every minute of play is somehow leading them to Juilliard or somewhere. Right. Absolutely. Well, technology and the advancement of technology, I think, has contributed to that phenomenon as well. So this idea that everything can be structured, everything can be placed, everything has a purpose, and the purpose is really what we're getting at. This idea that if we can give our child guitar lessons, piano lessons, Kumon lessons, so they can learn math properly, Um, all these variety of lessons, that will eventually lead them to some kind of career. Because right now we're in this precarious workplace, and we don't know what jobs are available to our children once they graduate college or high school. And even for very young kids, there's a place called MUMA that I just thought that was fascinating. Can you explain what MUMA is? Right. So MUMA Cafe, I believe, no longer exists, but it existed when I was doing this study. Muma Cafe had a structured play date that you could pay $60 to attend. And there was a musician who would play music for children as well. You would get a pasta lunch. You would do some art or craft. But there was also this wonderful virtual room in the back. Yeah. Tell us about that. So the virtual room had these walls that would grow trees very quickly. Images of Images trees. of trees, right. It's projected. Mm-hmm. And so the center would have water on the floor. Children could 
pretend they're pushing the water to the sides of the wall and then see these trees grow. So instead of taking our children outside to a real park where trees just don't grow that fast, we are bringing them into this virtual space, essentially. <laughs> Instant gratification. Absolutely. It, sound, it sounds oh, like one of, those, one of those really spooky Ray Bradbury short stories, <laughs> you know, about, you know, the, the rooms where everything is artificial. But, you know, as we learn more about how important it is for kids to be in nature, even get a few germs in their mouth and get a little dirty. The idea that we're putting them in this sanitary room with a false image of nature, it makes me kind of sad. Well, yeah. And we're also paying for the play dates. A lot. A lot of money. And there are also other indoor spaces where you could pay a membership of $1,200 a year so that on rainy days, snowy days, you know, too hot of a day, you can go into these indoor spaces for play. Whereas when we were children, you just went out in those elements and you dealt with it. You mentioned right at the start of our interview about this being potentially good for a parent's career Mm -hmm. to have a play date with like-minded parents or maybe parents who've who've got other uh, jobs that you're interested in. Um, What kind of social support system? do playdates provide for, mm-hmm. for parents? Um, I think it does provide a lot of support, actually. I think especially for families that have younger children, I mean, three or under, I think it gives them the opportunity to break the mundane and monotony of the day with a child. It allows you to communicate with other adults and have that adult conversation. But it does also lend itself to business opportunities. So if people have similar interests, because as I mentioned in the book, you know, it's people like us. So it's people who tend to have careers like us in the same socioeconomic bracket. And, you know, compared to, say, a a village in Africa, American parenthood, if if you're home with your kids, it's a very lonely place. You know, at the same time, we're maybe rolling our eyes slightly at some of the artificiality of the play date. You can understand why it's so necessary for for stay-at-home mothers or stay-at-home dads to get out and have a chance to talk to another adult for, Absolutely. Uh, for an hour. But I do think that with, the again, the advancement of technology, so everybody has a smartphone, everybody from all socioeconomic brackets have mm-hmm. a smartphone, I think that allows for us to have a little bit more isolation because we feel connected somehow to people through that mechanism. That's fascinating. And is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know what kind of thing it is. <laughs> From my own personal perspective, I think it's a less than ideal situation because we've lost the capability to interface with one another. And spontaneously. I mean, right. you know, one thing, in some ways, your work reminded me a little bit of um, of the work of Charles Murray, who mm-hmm. looks at the isolation of different social groups right. from each other. And um, we see this somewhat in the current campaign where so many people from our sorts of backgrounds, we can't understand the Trump phenomenon because many of us don't know that many of those people. And I think there's a lot to be said for people being thrown together with people that aren't like them. Right. Well, because you're doing it in the privacy of your own home. So, you know, the way I define play date, it's not necessarily something you do in the public sphere, but something you do in the private sphere. So what you're doing is creating this enclosed situation for people. Um, but it, just to further your point, yes, when we have something like technology that categorizes people, you've already filtered who is going to be able to reach you through that mechanism. You've lost the ability to interact with people who are different from you. So as a child, we have lost the ability to deal with the bully. Because when you went on the street to just play, you dealt with the bully and you knew who to avoid, who not to avoid, who was kind, who was sweet, who was shy. You figured all of these things out just by playing. And then also there's the diversity element beyond the bully that by 
segregating our children, not necessarily just by race, but also by social class. And by we age, made, often. And, and, yeah. and by age, Absolutely. good point. Yeah, that we really limit the opportunities for our children. We do, not only our children, but for ourselves. You know, when you talk about not knowing um, about the folks who are supporting Trump, perhaps, um, we've lost the ability to have that discourse with one another. Can we sit down intelligently and actually have a conversation? And yes, we might not be on par in terms of socioeconomic class, but there's something that is in common. We have children. So there's something happening there that is similar to both parents. And we can have a discussion about that. We can talk about education as well. I spent much of my childhood in the UK where Mm -hmm. class was very much part of the national conversation. Everybody knew about social class. I feel that in America, sometimes we're in denial about class, and yet it seems that the play date is making class more rigid and more of an issue than it was. It is, and we don't use the language of class when we're doing something like the play date, right? The play date is a different type of language that we can actually use in order to talk about class. We talked a little bit about how parents like to associate with the kinds of people that they aspire to hang out with. So that reinforces certain class divisions. Mm -hmm. And like, what are the mechanisms that make that happen? Right. Well, the mechanism actually takes place prior to the actual play date itself, right? So in self-selecting your play dates, you tend to look at how people are dressed how people are speaking, how they maybe discipline their child when you see them briefly in a park situation or at school in the hallways. There are these little markers, these little cues that people take in and are absorbing within just a few minutes that indicate class. And that is what will allow a parent to maybe go and approach that parent. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. For a play date. So let's talk about for the parents in the audience, what what makes a good play date? What makes a bad play date? <laughs> a bad play date is when a kid loses their mind, uh, has a meltdown, if you will. Uh, some people call it the witching hours. Right? That used to happen. <laughs> I, I have three kids. One of them was kind of on the ADD end of the spectrum. Uh-huh. So yeah, we were always alert to that, and we wanted to be close enough to intervene if it got out of hand. Right. Well, whenever there's the potential for damage or some kind of uh, injury, that's usually when parents think that the play date didn't go so well. Do you think they over-intervene, though, these days? I do. I do. I think that we could probably leave kids alone a little bit more or tell kids to suck it up a little bit more. They should feel these emotions and understand how do you deal with those aspects of a play date. When parents are setting up a play date for their child, any tips? Any things to make it better before the child (laughs) comes? Yeah, I mean, you know, this show is called How Do We Fix It, right? Right, (laughs) And so when... When I think of 
how do we fix this? I think we can be open to more diversity. Let's listen to our children's desires. I think we've lost the ability to do that because we're so afraid of everything our children interacts with. And I think if we actually went out of our comfort zone and actually listened to our child's desires, maybe they do want to play with the kid who's not in the same socioeconomic bracket as them. Maybe the white kid wants to play with the black kid instead of saying, oh, okay, well, let's do that another day. Oh, I've already set up this other play date for you. Instead of doing that, why not listen to the child and say, you know what? Obviously, this child treats my child nicely. Let's have this play date and see how it goes. You know, when I was a kid, I was part of a group kind of like the Boy Scouts. It was run by the YMCA in my town. It was such a great experience for exactly that reason. It was a very diverse group of kids, you know, and I, growing up in a white suburb, I didn't know a lot of black kids, but in my ranger camp group, I did, and they were my friends. But it was a great experience thrown together with this diverse group, and and I got the feeling my parents thought this was great. I mean, maybe I'm looking at Thoreau's colored glasses today, but I I think they really supported it. I would say you are a little bit, only because how many of those kids that you interacted with that were diverse in that forum, did you actually invite back to the privacy of Yeah, that's home, an excellent question. Right? And right. so that's kind of what I'd like to push parents to think about more is that, yes, you go out to parks, you go out to these public spaces, or you go to camp, and you meet all these wonderful children, you meet all these wonderful parents, but how many times do you actually try to foster a personal relationship with that's those That's exactly people? the right question. Yeah. So on how do we fix it, we always like to look for good suggestions that people can apply on a personal level, but also maybe on an institutional level. Are there things that um, nursery schools, schools, other sorts of groups can do to encourage this kind of healthy, diverse approach to play dates? Yeah, I think the first thing we need to do is actually diversify our school system a little bit more. Structurally, we need a lot of a lot of progress in terms of how students are siphoned off into different schools. How about the unsupervised play date? I mean, at what point do you think you can start telling your kids, just go ahead and meet, you know, meet your friends in the park? Meet them at the park? Yeah. I think at a pretty early age, to tell you the honest truth. I mean, obviously, it depends on the proximity of the park to your home. You Mm -hmm. want the child to be able to walk to it or ride their bike to it. I don't know that there's any particular age I would definitely say by age 10, they could do something like that. But I'm gathering that you would suggest that parents push their comfort zone a little bit more than they tend to on this and trust their kids. Trust their kids, you know, teach them to go in groups, (laughs) you know, have them communicate with you exactly where they plan to go for how long and so on. Um, But I think unless there's blood and tears... You can let your kids have at it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That sounds like a good motto. And when I was a kid, there were blood and tears sometimes, and sometimes Absolutely. that was okay, too. And that was okay, and you dealt with it. You put a Band-Aid on it, and you got over it, and you probably played with the same kid a week later. Yes. Are there certain times of the day that may be better? Yeah, and I think typically earlier in the day is better for most children because they're fresh, they've already slept all day, they've had something to eat. After school, they tend to be a little more tired, but they still have that energy to get rid of. So the hour after school is usually a good time as well. And and let the kids set the agenda, let them decide what toys to play with, etc. Yeah, absolutely. Unless it's costing money, then the parents should have a say. But (laughs) other than that, yeah. Okay, so, so we've talked about why this is important to parents, why it's important to children, but Why is it important to those who don't have kids? Right. I think the playdate experience and the playdate phenomenon is important because it helps us understand what is actually happening 
with adults. So I feel like understanding how we structure play for children actually reproduces to some extent what happens in the boardroom. Once we start seeing how people self-segregate, how people are accepting or not accepting of different or diverse opinions about things. Even how people marry. You know, there's this new research that people are tending to marry more within their you know, the two Harvard Law students marry each other. Right. It didn't always work that way. There used to be more marriage across social classes. Right. And I think what we're doing is we're teaching our kids to look for the cues that we looked at as parents to actually create that play date situation. We are inherently teaching our children now how to look for those cues. And therefore, we start to see more and more people attracted to people who are similar to them. This is How Do We Fix It? I'm Jim Meggs. I'm Richard Davies. <laughs> Okay, I think we're good. Okay, that was great. so that much was fun. So much oh, fun. good, that was so much fun. Good, good. So, I'm glad. Because I thought you, you were going to be a stuffy. Did you? Actor, actor oh, <laughs> did you, I was going to say, did you like take a seminar on how to be a great radio guest tomorrow, Mose? Thank you very much for your honesty and and thank for you what for we having learned. me. Yes. This was wonderful. So. My number one takeaway from Tamara is when you organize a play date, think about your children and their opinions rather than just what what might work out from your point of view. You know, George Orwell once said, the hardest thing is to see what is in front of your nose. So here's a sociologist arranging play dates for her own kids and realizing what a fraught, complicated question the play date is and decided to do a research project on it. But also, sometimes it's the things we all take for granted that really show what's going on in our society. And Tamara did something which I love, which is she said, I made a mistake. I screwed up. Yes. And, uh, and, and that's I never do that, as you know, Richard. <laughs> so, no, I, I just like that a lot, that she said that she screwed up with a play date. But so a couple of takeaways, though, I think, and it's something that really reflects the theme of this show, is don't allow the play date process to further isolate your child or your family from getting to know people who might be of a different social class, a different racial background. We do so much sorting in our society. This podcast is partly an attempt to fight back on that a little bit in the, world, in the world of ideas and opinions, but it could start at three. You know, if your kid says they want to play with the kid from the wrong side of the tracks, maybe that's great and you should encourage it. Yeah. And another thing to do is to revisit some of our podcasts. Uh, we, we did two with Lenore Skenazy about the importance of free range kids and free range play, which I think are really valuable. So she said yeah, there's advantages to the, the indoor play date and the outdoor play date. But certainly when the kids are out in the park, you know, they're picking up sticks, they're playing in the sandbox. It's a much more complicated, a natural world and um, maybe a more physical world, all of that's great for kids. And I would argue it's important for the parents to be watching, but if you can, watch from a distance. Yeah, true, but I will say one thing, because I think it's easy to, as you say, romanticize the past and catastrophize the present. And catastrophize? Romanticize the past and catastrophize the present. Oh, I have trouble with that. Um, (laughs) I think I made up that word. (laughs) Yeah. In the past, I think a lot of parents were much more rigid than they are today. There was a lot more discipline at home and sometimes unneeded discipline. I I, I completely disagree with that. No. I remember when my dad saying, take your elbows off the table, sit up straight. There were a lot of little rules. You have to do certain things When you went in the backyard with a gang of neighborhood kids and you were poking at bugs with sticks, you're 
father wasn't no. leaning over with you and saying, be polite to no, little Johnny. Right. I, exactly. I agree with you about the outside. But in inside, our inside lives, sometimes we're more structured and more controlled but and only, stricter than but they are today. Where you interacted with adults. But you were probably given much more freedom True. T- to interact True. in the world of children, kids of different ages. I mean, I had the luxury growing up in the suburbs, mid-century America, where we, we were like little, you know, little Indians roaming free for hours at a time without our parents supervising us. I think for the most part, that was good. There are limits to that, but I think that, that modern parents often tend to hover more than they need to. There should be a, a common, yeah. a, a, a compromise, a middle ground. I'm with you on that, but I still think there was more hierarchy and more structure sometimes in ways that were not good well, for kids. Well, that was written. <laughs> there you go. Perhaps that's the case. <laughs> the show is How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davis. And I'm Jim Banks. Thanks for joining us. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer and uh, the audio engineer, Denise Barbarita. Here at the beautiful Mona Lisa Studios in Uptown Manhattan. Our show is produced by Davies Content. We make digital audio for companies and nonprofits. Check out our website at DaviesContent.com. And join us for a play date anytime you want. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.